This is a rather different episode of Great Minds on Learning. It's a bonus episode, and we don't have my usual co-presenter, Donald Clark, to keep us on the straight and narrow as we wander down the highways and byways of learning theory. Instead, I'm here with my good friend, Carl Chrysostomo. Carl is a learning science content creator, digital learning consultant, and brand ambassador, and good friend and supporter of the Great Minds on Learning podcast, which we are going to be talking about and discussing today together. Carl's worked in learning for more than 20 years and has a great passion for it, and more particularly for the science and theory of learning. And he's documenting his learning journey about this subject at the website carllearns.com through a series of video interviews. It's a podcast, basically, if you ask me anyway. So Carl, can you tell us a bit about this learning journey you're on and how you began to incorporate our podcast as part of it? Yeah, you know, um, I've got uh, a huge uh, passion for understanding how we learn. And that that was actually sparked um, a bit in part by an experience I had with a, a particular customer. And it um, really brought, to home, brought home how learning can change people's lives. And that kind of sparked something, um, sparked something within me. Um, and then I happened at that time to be working with a, a neuroscientist who you know, um, and uh, she started to kind of introduce me to, to the science of learning. And I think it kind of, it really, it really um, snowballed snowballed from there and where I am now is that not only do I have a passion and I love to kind of understand how we learn I try to share what I learn um, and I try to share that kind of non-profit way through videos which I which I share uh, share on LinkedIn um, and so great minds on learning uh, really appealed to me I think it looked like something that would really give me an interesting perspective on how we learn um, but it also appealed to me because I'm a bit of a history buff. Um, and uh, I think my love for history was ignited uh, when I lived in, uh, lived in London Bridge. I used to walk to work, the kind of walk that a tourist would do to immerse themselves in the, in the history of London. Um, so that kind of really kicked off my passion for history. And I now can be found on kind of Facebook, um, trawling local history groups and spending my time in, the time in the evening squinting, looking at historical pictures <laughs> that people have posted. So mm. the fact that Great Minds on Learning was going to take me on a historical journey actually really excited me. And I think it's worth elaborating about the kind of the, the importance of that historical aspect of Great Minds on Learning, because it's not just because I'm a history buff and would appeal to someone who is into, into history. I think, you know, as a, as, a, <clears throat> as a learning professional, it was interesting to understand what a rich history our industry has, you know, one that spanned back over thousands of years. Um, but also how learning theory has evolved over time and how one kind of theory builds on another. And this has been really interesting because it's kind of allowed me to join the dots. So. Um, if I'm looking at a piece of recent research, I can kind of trace it back to it to its roots. And this in turn kind of gets me to, um, to kind of kick off uh, other areas of other areas of exploration. Um, I've got a really good example of this, actually, because um, I was looking at this and thinking about this the other day. I've been looking at some research recently in which um, two MIT professors are looking at the correlation between um, sleep and test scores. And 
why it interested me was because it started out as an experiment on connecting exercise and Tesco's, but the data they received from the kind of the Fitbits that were used in the experiment mm. uh, changed kind of the, the, the course of their focus from exercise to sleep. So we have this piece of research on sleep and learning. Um, and then it gets me thinking about space practice. Um, and one of the most important aspects of space practice is, is sleep. Because sleep helps co uh, correlate um, uh, what you've learned um, in the spaces between, between each practice. And then um, it, uh, and then get, that gets me thinking about space practice with its roots um, in the work of um, Herm, Herman Ebbinghaus in the 1800s. Ebbinghaus, yeah. Yeah, forgetting curve theory. So what, what Great Minds and Learning has done is it started to help me build up a, a real timeline um, of, of, of kind of learning theory. And this is important because it, it starts getting me thinking about different areas of exploration. So when I start looking at space practice, I think, oh, let's think about diffusion, you know, which is kind of similar to space practice kind of take a break between practice during say a day in order to embed what we've learned and so this this history these connections me joining those dots helps has helped me really build up this whole kind of mind map which is in my head uh, which i use to explore kind of new and interesting areas in the space and i think that is really helpful in a space that is so vast and can take you down um take you down kind of rabbit holes and never-ending never-ending paths many rabbit holes many yeah. rabbit holes I, I think it's an interesting point you raised there for me because one of the things uh for me there is this whole thing about the literature of your professional discipline um in when you're in business and it's been said that learning people just don't pay much attention to theirs which is in a way is why we started the mm. podcast and i contrast it with things like uh Marketing, for instance, you, you know, you have your books and some of them are rather dull. Like, you know, people go off and read your Porter Five Forces and all that stuff. And then you have the kind of pop literature of marketing with people like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, on social as a, a, a sort of part of that. But it's the learning literature is very different in type because it slops over in so many other disciplines and fields of study. As you said, history, there's a big historical context to it. It's really difficult to look at it without taking that into account, you know, because otherwise you might come across an idea like eugenics. <laughs> um, and it has to be put in, in, into context of, of, of history, but it also goes into other fields like psychology, of course, mm. which is an evolving science. Um, there isn't yet a Nobel Prize for psychology because it's recently new. So Kahneman, for instance, won his Nobel Prize in economics in, in, instead. It shades over into politics at some point. And it, it's always, and sociology, it, it's always interesting to me to see when Donald comes up with his next list of, um, of, uh, of thinkers for a particular category or for, you know, we discuss what's going to be in the next season. I think, well, what are they doing there? You know, we're doing kind of people like Derrida and um, we did Baudrillard. Uh, most recently in an episode to be broadcast. Um, so it, it, it's not only really rich, it's teeming. It goes off down all these other avenues. And as I say, if you're a history buff, it's great for you. If you're basically a literature person like me, also read some philosophy, um, there, there's stuff in that for you. There's a, there's a big chunk of philosophy in it, maybe perhaps because Donald is a philosopher. Mm -hmm.
Um, but I should ask, what uh, what's the first episode that you listened to? Yeah, so the first one that I uh, I listened to was your first episode. Um, so the cognitivists hate that word, but um, <laughs> that was the first one. <laughs> Um, I listen to, you know, it's all about memory theory. It's all about the memory, you know, and as someone who's kind of passionate about the science of learning, uh, it's a really important episode. Memory is an area that I have a particular interest in. And the cognitivists, um, uh, also where we start to see the use of uh, the scientific the scientific method. Hmm. And that really begins where you start your first series with these guys and girls on um, Herman Ebbinghaus. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned before, and he's forgetting curve theory. And, um, you know, I think you pointed out his, his theory does get about a bit. You see it on PowerPoint slides, you see it in, in, in conferences. Um, and, you know, I knew a bit about his work because of this and the methods he used and also the controversy which you talk about um, that surrounds, uh, surrounds his theory. So I think this, the piece on, uh, on the piece on him and his work really kind of firmed up what I knew, but also filled in some gaps. But what was really interesting, and this happened a lot um, throughout um, the whole series actually, was it covers stuff I never really knew about Ebbinghaus um, and his work. For example, the environment in which his experiments were done in, you know, it was during the time of Darwin and um, and the kind of theory of evolution. Mm. Um, It's been an incredible time. And and the, the idea of this imperfect brain, you know, we procrastinate, we're subject to emotional pulls, all that kind of stuff. And experiments were kind of trying to prove that we have an imperfect brain. It's not something that was, say, created by God. And that, that was, which was really kind of fundamental, or which is really fundamental to a lot of the research, which is carried out today. You know, we're trying to understand uh, more about this highly complex, beautiful thing, which is the brain. And he was at the forefront of that research. And he also kind of discovered, I found out he discovered primacy and recency. So um, two other interesting areas. Yeah. So from this episode and f- from this piece on him, I really came away with a kind of newfound respect uh, for Ebbinghaus and his work. Yeah, I thought, thought it was interesting that one for me because it was the first one we did. We did it as a pilot to see if there was really going to be any legs in, in this. Um, and I had two contradictory feelings about it having done Done it. One is yes, obviously there are legs. This is really interesting. <laughs> you know, we can bring, bring do some more programs about other theorists, and I'm sure people are going to be interested in it. Went down well. But the other contradictory thing was when I kind of really engaged with the cognitivists and found out, as you said, you know, about Ebbinghaus, and then that leads on to uh, all the others, um, and and you get kind of models of how the memory works: short-term memory, long-term memory, working memory, and and so forth. By the time we got to the end of that. It, it, it did occur to me, perhaps rather naively, well, well, this is it. This is all you need to know. <laughs> you know, we can stop here because not a lot of people seem to pay much attention to this this science, but actually it tells you everything. It tells you everything, to the, the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve and the way that people, people have uh, gone on from that to elaborate a model of the brain and uh, a model of how we learn in the brute force kind of thing of just remembering stuff. Yeah, you know, yes. What else you need? Of course, you know, now into the third series, I really realized there's a lot more to it than that. Um, also, we did the behaviorists next, and I thought, well, this is going to be simple. The cognitivists had it right. The behaviorists were talking a load of old tosh. Um, how wrong could I be? There's a lot in behaviorism that's um, 
still really important. And even, you know, within the works of the, the, the much reviled B.F. Skinner and so on. Mm. So suddenly I realized all this nuance opening up and it has just become more and more nuanced. That can be very confusing. And I think it's one of the reasons perhaps people shy away from engaging with the literature because, you know, uh, the experts contradict each other. Yeah. Um, influencers and translators use the science in confusing or misleading and sometimes kind of, you know, rather fraudulent ways, and they disagree with each other. Um, it's difficult to generalize about learning from one field to another. Uh, and then you have, uh, you know, the insights of psychology with the cognitivists. Then you also have neuroscience weighing in now in, in the 21st century. Um, and there isn't necessarily a contradiction between those two fields, but they don't necessarily sit together and map very cleanly onto each other. So um, I can see why people kind of bounce off it. On the other hand, it is, is rich and fascinating. And I now feel I know something about learning. Um, <laughs> you know, I started off in a position of thinking of, you know, treating this slightly like an entertainment project. You know, it's quite entertaining to watch um, Donald go through this stuff. Um, but actually found without really trying to, particularly that I was learning through the process of doing it which is interesting. So what other re episodes have particularly resonated with you, Carl? And what did you take away from them? You can mention as many as you like, or as few. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mentioned a couple. I think uh, the first one was, um, was online. Um, and, um, you know, you know, there's those people that are trying to apply learning theory to technology. And like um, Donald and, and, and you, you know, I've worked in the field of online learning for a large part of my career, you know, for me since yeah. the late 90s. Well, yeah, we're old lags. <laughs> Man <Yeah>. and boy. <laughs> um, and so this that's what drew me to this episode, it's a particular interest. And the standout person here for me in this episode, obviously, is Richard Mayer. Yeah. Um, you know, the research machine, over 500 studies. You know, he's, his work with Ruth Clark, his book on the science of instruction. He's the person that provides those basic principles, which are really interesting for instructional designers. You should really understand this stuff. You know, things to avoid, eye and ear candy, thinking about text on screen, thinking about, you know, video, all of this kind of stuff. You know, he's the, the king of hints and tips. Um, I think Donald called him um, a guiding light. Which he I did. And, and another thing he said was that, you know, you shouldn't let anybody, you, should, you know, I always find it difficult not to lapse into the accent. <laughs> this has become a feature of the podcast, um, but I won't. <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you should use him, you should give him to your instructional designers, you know, if you're in a position like he was a running a learning company. In fact, you should never let an instructional designer anywhere near a, a piece of learning until they'd read Mayer. <laughs> well, you know, that, and, and that's true. But I think one thing that um, Mayer points out, and, and Donald um, uh, talked about this a bit, was that, you know, these things aren't absolute rules. And that kind of goes back to what you were just saying about the complexity of this space, you know. And I think that's really uh, interesting for, for people to understand and people are kind of getting into learning theory and, and, and the science of learning. You know, science of learning is a is liquid. I think it's probably a good way to describe it. You know, the pace of change is rapid. New research is building on existing research. You have research countering other research, just as you described. 
you know what you thought was true one day you know isn't isn't true isn't true the next and you know i've been called out on my interview series a couple of times as i've had shed science which is out of date keeping up is not easy and who to trust is is also difficult and that's why you know that idea that mayor's work should be used as guidance but not considered absolute rules is important um you know they're guiding principles and i think if you come across something that you really, really interest you, a concept that really interests you, then it's worth digging a little deeper into the into the latest research. Yeah. Um, if you use something like Google Scholar, for example, that's an open source platform. You know, some of it's locked behind paywalls. Some of it will send you to sleep, <laughs> and some of it will take you down a rabbit hole. Uh, in which you'll get lost for for days. So I think it was good that Don would call that out, and 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 it's part of kind of what Richard uh, says about uh, says about uh, his concepts and his research. Yeah, I think the thing you said you're, you're kind of hinting at there is is like you, you, you approach things with caution, don't you? After after you've had this sort of immersion in it, you realise mm. it's very easy to go wrong. Uh, yeah. And people don't like complexity, um, especially not in business. Uh, it's, you know, people want to get on LinkedIn and blog away. Um, yeah. And share those on LinkedIn, saying this is the answer. I firmly believe this. This will sort things out. Here are your three steps to making effective learning. Um, and Mia culpa, I've done a certain amount of that in my time. But since kind of uh, getting involved with Great Minds on Learning, I, I, I now think a lot more, <laughs> a lot more carefully before I put the thing out. You know, I recently wrote a, a white paper about um, the, the spacing effect. Mm. Um, yeah, and Ebbing House, and I, I just felt fear and caution <laughs> like I never had before. And that—that that, that is the mindset of it, it's a slightly academic mindset, and that you know, well, I might be wrong. I have to make sure I look up my sources on this. You know, you can't kind of confidently just pick something up, slap it down on the page, and put it out on on LinkedIn anymore. <laughs> But has some, as listening to Great Minds on Learning changed your view of learning significantly, do you think? And in what ways? Yeah, I think when I when I think about this, um, I think that, um, you know, I think, you know, as someone who's um, already kind of um, exploring learning theory, I think it's, it's definitely broadened my horizons. Um, you know, um, <laughs> As you, you said, I think you, when you did the first episode, you described it as, well, you, I now know everything. I've now shared everything. Um, this, what else is, is there to know? And I kind of started out on that journey. And I think my horizons keep broadening and broadening and broadening. And Great, mind on, great Minds on Learning has kind of been alongside that broadening of my horizons. So so it's, it's, been, it's been really good for that. I think that point I made before about connecting the dots. But I think if, if I think back, uh, I was looking at something over here, I'd look at study over here, a piece of research over here. There was kind of a random collection of things. And I think it's in, a, in, a, in a strange way, it's allowed me to create a bit of a framework in, what, in, in which to build up my knowledge on and, and for me to kind of go off and explore, explore new areas. So I think that's been, that's been really helpful. Um, and um, yeah, 
I think uh, that thing we talked about, about absolute rules, it's good I hear other people talking about that. Um, and um, I don't think uh, the kind of the world of learning science talks about that enough. You know, there's people out there preaching a lot, but they don't say, be careful, or, you know, they, they, they never, it never comes with a word of caution. So it was nice to see some of that come through in the podcast. And I, I think I really like that. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's some of the things. I think there's nothing quite like it out there. I was talking to someone the other day um, and uh, they were saying, it's like a service to the industry. Which I think <laughs> really nice. A great way to describe it. Yeah, that's a bit like, like water. <laughs> <laughs> but without the sewage in it, hopefully. Yeah. Speaking personally, Carl, it's, is there any area you'd particularly like us to cover in the future? Do you, do you ever think, oh, oh there, here's an area that they... I ought to get Donald and John to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the stuff I'm interested in at the moment is more about um, helping yourself become a more effective learner. I would say my previous interest has been more in the design of learning, using mm -hmm. learning science, learning theory to create more effective learning. Um, and this still is an important part of what I'm looking into. There's been a little shift. Um, so this new area of interest has led me to explore um, uh, concepts such as sleep and learning, exercise and learning, you know, diet and learning. Um, and uh, for example, we have people like Wendy Suzuki, find her on lots of TED Talks, and she's doing some fascinating research in the area of exercise and learning. And a lot of people know Matthew Walker, who wrote the book, you know, Why, Why Do We Sleep? So mm. those kind of areas, neuroscience, neurobiology, yeah, I'm wondering if there is something there in the neuroscience thing, because the, the, this is a real kind of aspect of the field um, in the early part of the 20th century, 21st century as we are, is that alongside psychology, we have um, neuroscience. And it, it was interesting doing a webinar a little while ago with um, you know, for a company that we, we both know very well, uh, with a psychologist and um, a neuroscientist. And I was saying, well, how do you divide it up between you? And one of them says, well, she does the grey squishy stuff, meaning the neuroscientist. Um, it's the difference between mind and brain. Um, I think Stella Collins uh, make, make, makes that distinction. And I, I think that is an interesting area. How do you look at learning theory from the point of view of the grey squishy stuff? Um, yeah. I'll get on to Donald about that. It's your, your, um, your suggestion has been noted. Good. <laughs> so Carl we could um, wrap it on all day but uh, we, we have to keep it very brief for people right so lastly how can people follow you in your learning progress yeah so I run an uh, interview series on uh, LinkedIn called Carl Learns uh, you know in which I unpack the science of learning I interview learning scientists neuroscientists, um, cognitive psychologists, teachers, learning science translators, industry thought leaders, people like Donald. And you find me on LinkedIn. Best way to find me, because I've got a terribly complex surname, is just to search hashtag Carl Learns, and mm. all my videos will come up, and then you can connect through those. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, and just type Carl Learns in Google, and it will pop up. Um, and uh, as you mentioned at the outset, my website, uh, carlnance.com. 
Javier, say thanks for taking the time today, Carl. Cheers. Pleasure. Thank you.